podcast. I'm Scott. I'm back here with Caleb for another. Hey, how are you? Interesting weekend, I guess you could say. Indeed, um, indeed. Yeah, just another average ass week for me. There's some good news. Nature put out some reports. We're gonna go over. Hey. Caleb has a pretty good one on uh, some missing World War II ships. We're gonna go over a little bit of that and. Just have a good old time. What have you been doing, Caleb? Oh, uh, you know, same old, same old. Working through this coronavirus. Just like the rest of us. You could say you're essential. Huh. <laughs> I don't really feel essential, but yeah, I guess. <laughs> you was telling me that uh, you lifted the bridge you was talking about. What was that? How'd that go? Oh, yeah, uh, we, we lifted the two million pounds of steel. Uh, we lifted it six inches to replace a bearing underneath one of the piers. Well, not underneath the pier, but underneath the the structure on top of the pier. It was pretty it was pretty intense, honestly, using you know, big ass pneumatic jacks to fucking like lift this thing up. It, it was it was intense. It was crazy. Long yeah. week. Two two million pounds. <clears throat> Like, yep, two thousand tons. And how, like, the amount of machinery that you had to use to be able to do uh, that shit? Well, see, that's just it. You would think it would be a, a lot. Bit. Yeah, you. I mean, you would think it'd be like a massive move, but believe it or not, the pneumatic jacks that we were using were actually quite small. Hmm. I I thought it, it was nuts. It was nuts. It was crazy. But it it definitely brought into perspective. Next time you drive over a bridge. Think about how much work went into building that <laughs> son of a bitch. Right. It's insane, man. Yeah. Well, that's cool. But enough about that. Nice little bridge update. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going, going, going well. <laughs> well, I guess I could uh, get started on the uh, largest earthquake of the week. Ooh. <clears throat> exciting. Which was a pretty good building. one. It was pretty big. I mean... This this week was the um, <clears throat> had a seven point eight in Alaska. Um, in Alaska, yeah, totally not where I was wow. expecting. Came on July twenty second, hit uh, six twelve Universal Time. Um, <clears throat> it was a seven point eight, and it happened at uh, twenty eight kilometers in depth. So that's a pretty shallow one, like I was talking about. You get the shallow ones. Yeah. The ones wow. That, kind of shake shit up a little bit do the damage yeah, yeah. they're the ones that do the damage um, the estimated energy release was um equivalent to 472.4 i'm guessing hiroshima's that's probably the scale that they're going off of oof intense oof. intense yeah that's a big one <clears throat> But uh, it happened just off the coast of Perryville, Alaska, just south of the Alaskan Peninsula. Um, It happened right where the uh, Pacific Plate smashes into the North American Plate. Uh, And this, oh shit, there's so much activity here. I mean, there's we've had a shitload of 7.0s and higher just in the past hundred years. In that same, within 250 kilometers of the same area. There's been a seven point more than six seven point or higher. 
But Jeez. Um, just that uh, place right there, it moves like six centimeters every year. So just think, uh, what's six centimeters? I mean, that's a lot for a plate that's holding up 90%. <laughs> yeah, it's like out. smashing into the North American plate right there in Alaska. They've had, um, what, um, uh... In uh, 1964, they had that 9.2, the world's most powerful earthquake since we've recorded earthquakes happen right there with, within just a little bit distance, the same area. Oh, shit. And in 1938, they had an 8.3. There was a small uh, tsunami that happened with that. And... Hmm. And uh, there was there was a tsunami with this one, but it was on like a foot tall. They said it was on like a foot higher than the average wave line, so they got lucky. Oh, they got pretty lucky because I mean, yeah, right. It, they could it could have been bad. <clears throat> could have been way bad. I mean, we're talking seven point. What did you say? Seven point two? Seven point eight? Seven point eight. Seven point eight. I think last week yeah, they had a same point. Yeah. yeah. But since then, they've had, like, m- multiple, multiple 5.0s and higher just in their aftershocks in the past week. So 5.0s are still not weak at all. Wow. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> other earthquake news, there's been, uh, we're looking at like blood echoes, and I'm just learning about these recently. But they're like really deep uh, into the mantle, like quakes, and usually, yeah, they correlate these pretty, pretty highly with a larger earthquake in the same zone. But there's like a, there'll be like a earthquake at like a hundred kilometers or deeper. That's a blood echo, and usually, you'll have like an energy release up in a more shallower depth, right in the same area. <clears throat> so, you just got they're usually indicators of an earthquake to come within so many days. But <clears throat> looking at those right now, Chile is a hot spot, and it's like in a high risk zone. Papua New Guinea is obviously a high risk zone. There's a six point over there like every week, and uh, right around Pakistan and Iran, the Middle East. It's a pretty pretty big hot spot right now, so they're on high risk for an earthquake. So yeah, that's pretty much it for the uh, earthquake news of the week. So a couple of hot spots. Wow. Um, now, can you consider these blot echoes? Are they are they like like a like a more distant form of aftershock? They're like pre shocks, you could say. They're like precursors. Oh. Oh, so they had, okay, I'm glad I was paying attention there. Yeah, so oh, you'll shit. have like, you have like a really deep, like smaller earthquake. I don't, like, they define, they usually say 100 kilometers or deeper. is like a blood echo. And then there'll be okay. like some energy transfer between the upper layers and the lower layers somehow. And then it'll induce some type of energy release at the higher layers. Some say it's uh, a, well, it has been correlated with like all the way from the atmosphere all the way down into the mantle. It's kind of like one system 
So, like, it's all interconnected. Everything kind of affects nice. everything, but the blood echoes are pretty, yeah, they're pretty good indicators that it's something is ready to happen. If there isn't, like, a smaller energy release at a more deeper depth. Fucking <clears throat> intense, bro. Yeah. So, there's that. All right. Well, that's a hefty earth. That's our biggest earthquake of the week so far. Uh, this is the fourth episode in a month. So, yeah. I don't even know when the last 7.8 occurred, but it's been a while. Yeah, that's definitely a big earthquake. So, this week's uh, near-Earth object, the closest near-Earth object that we know of that came flying past Earth, it was... Yeah. <clears throat> 2020 NO and it zoomed past at 27,525 kilometers per hour on July 22nd, 2020 at 1229 Universal Time. Damn. <laughs> 20, I think that's the fastest one so far, 27,000 kilometers. Yeah. Long. And it missed Something by uh, 2.03 lunar distances. So just a little over. Oh, okay. Twice the distance to the moon. Oh, the closest right, one we've so had. Yeah, in fact, I think the closest one we had was actually less distance than the moon. Yeah, like point four something. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Definitely not the closest, but definitely the fastest. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but fortunately, it's thought to be non-hazardous and... uh so we, it's really they you run shit through simulators with this kind of stuff, and you can see its trajectory over a long ass time, and they can pretty right. much predict if it's going to be potentially hazardous over a certain amount of time. So, <clears throat> but even so, the estimated max diameter is only like twelve meters. So that's what thirty eight, thirty six feet. Yeah, so it, ain't bad. It'd probably burn up or. Have an air burst or something. At least a large. Yeah. <clears throat> but speaking of burning up or air burst, we have our fireball, mm. our most witnessed fireball. Oh, yeah. Came in just north of the Mongolian border, right inside of Russia. And it was had a uh, northwest trajectory, um, <clears throat> roughly 60 to 7 kilometers until it burned out. But it was witnessed by 71 people. So far, and only reported wow. so some two people heard it out of the seventy one okay, but um, now I noticed I remember last week you did say something that was weird about hearing the the fireballs, if I'm not mistaken, what do you mean, maybe not. Like, isn't it, doesn't it have to be a, a certain speed or a certain size to actually be heard? Well, I mean, if it comes deeper into the atmosphere, because a lot of them burn up really high before they even come, you know, close to the ground, really. Right. So just depending, this one had a shorter trajectory, so I figure, like, it had a more steep trajectory, Okay, so it made it closer. Yeah. So, but that man. one, last week, the one that 
it actually I've looked at its reports and it's actually went up from like thirty nine or forty something to like more than a hundred witnesses now. So that one was a pretty big one and I've there's been more than a dozen people that have heard that one. So mm. <clears throat> it's hard to I don't know, figuring out how far and how loud that shit would be, I guess, it's kinda hard. Yeah, we'll leave that to the scientists. <laughs> but, I don't know, if it explodes on like an airburst, that's like an explosion. Oh, yeah. That's not just like it breaking the sound barrier. That's like fucking exploding. Like the energy of it stopping is more than the energy that's holding that shit together and it explodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's why it ain't just like blowing apart whenever there's an airburst. It's like an actual detonation yeah so there's gonna be shrapnel yeah it's, gonna i mean be... it's really there's gonna be shock waves like really nice crazy ass tunguska shock waves <laughs> oh dude that'd be intense right it's like mother nature's you know own personal non-radioactive nuke <laughs> god and Tunguska's crazy. Tunguska is like a whole insane story. It's a it's an incredible story, to be honest with you. In fact, you were the one who originally explained to me the correct uh, way that went down. It wasn't airburst. A lot of people think that it was like an actual blast, you know, something hitting the, the earth and causing. But no, it in fact it, it blew up. Above the Earth's surface, and the shock wave from the explosion did all that damage. Yeah, <clears throat> there's like simulations and artist renditions, but it looks like there's like three separate explosions. Like you got a higher one, and then you got another one, and then you got another one closest to the ground. It just <laughs> straight flattens like 200 square miles of forest. But there was like a there's like the villagers out of like the kill zone basically that were fucking blown off their feet yeah dude they still to this day still speak about that yeah they say like the tribes that are out there pillars of fire in the sky and they're dude the way they explain it sounds fucking like biblical revelation shit but it's only in 1908 you know <laughs> like it's yeah when you see reports like that and then you read shit like ancient text and stuff why it's like impossible not to make the connection oh yeah straight up like in uh the hindu texts the uh the iron rod that they would cast call or explode with the strength of a thousand suns and shit yeah you know, maybe there was a big ass fight and an airburst happened to happen yeah. over it. But, but you know they explain shit in like story ways so it's you can tell it in like Easy. an oral tradition yeah. Because there's, there's, there's truth in their tradition. Like, they're telling you the truth without telling you the truth at the same time. Right. I mean, they gotta, they got to spice it up for, yeah. you know, for it to last over the years. <laughs> mm. Wow. Got all them fireballs and near-Earth objects, Scott. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, it for our weekly 
Earth and space updates. <laughs> so, uh, indeed. What do you got for us? I know you was talking to me about those uh, disappearing World War Two ships. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. Um, funny thing is, is I actually, I actually found this uh, from watching. It was, it was another Jeremy Wade show. But um, he's the shit. Turn. Yeah, God, yeah, he is. But turns out there is there's there's an epidemic going on in the ocean, right? and uh, it was it started a few years ago, but it's just you know over over time gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and to the point now to where like these things are going missing within a week, within a week's time, an entire World War Two ship. Now I'm talking everything from battleships to to cargo freighters to destroyers. Massive, massive ships. Pretty much anything that went down. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, is these things have been down under the under the ocean for upwards of seventy years now. So, a lot of ecosystems have grown up around them. You know, the ocean floor has kind of made it. You know, that thing became a part of the ocean. Like an artificial reef. Right. Well, um, they noticed it. It, it really came into radar because uh, two ships off the Japanese coast, uh, I cannot, they were cargo freighters, but wasn't Japanese, sorry, coast of uh, Alta, I believe, South Pacific. Anyway, two massive, massive cargo freighters uh, were down there, uh, a huge dive site, lots of people uh, have, have been out there and taken pictures. Well, one person had been out there a week before, and it came back a week later. Well, the thing is, is when they when they came back, it was gone. Like, both ships completely gone. Now, we're talking like 300-foot cargo freighters, all steel, old-school Japanese military cargo freighters. How much? Completely gone. That is so much work. It feels like it's not even, it feels like it would cost more money than what you're going to get out of it. Well, see, that's just it. A lot of people, uh, believe it or not, Scott, a lot of people did not immediately jump to that conclusion. A lot of people went to like, well, maybe it's just a shifting of the Earth's, you know, of the ocean floor. But the thing is, there's no evidence correlating to that whatsoever yeah, I mean, at all. It hasn't fact, shifted in 78 like, years or whatever the fuck. Yeah, in fact, it, 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 it actually looks like it was never there to begin with, which is funny. Um, now, and now uh, the one that they found with the two Japanese freighters, the most recent one, there was stuff left over. There was, you know, bits and pieces of metal and steel. And actually a lot of the, uh, uh, with respect, sorry, uh, a lot of the bodies from the crew that was still on the ship when it went down, a lot of the bodies were still there. So they removed the bodies, but they kind of just took the What fu- do they do? You know, just throw it out to the sharks? I mean, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm sure that if there if there was anything left of the bodies, I don't know. It didn't really get into details. It's just yeah. that what we're definitely looking at here is we're looking at um, within a week's period. Dude, that so, is so a crew. Days. That is like there has to be some millionaire fucking tycoon behind because it ain't yeah, just some average Joe's. I seen it was like what eighty meters. At some yep. of these depths, which is time was like 160 feet, 180 feet. Yeah, hardcore, like straight light. up, no light diving, 
Like you're down there with torches. I yeah, mean, cutting are, steel. Moving these are trained steel, professionals like, doing this shit. That ain't just some fuck like poor now Indian dude and or whatever. That, that's just it. These guys are are like they're like a super crew. You'd almost think that they're like treasure hunters from a movie or something, but they're real. You guys are really doing this. Like and the thing is, is the funding this shit. Yeah. Uh, possibly, but th- any, either way, the reason that they're doing this is because the steel that that made these battle that we made these ships out of uh, haven't been polluted with uh, atomic particles and isotopes. They haven't like they were under the water uh, all well before we detonated the first atomic bomb. Right. So this is like untainted steel. So I mean, we're talking steel that that that's worth. A lot of money. Now, where this steel is going, that that's what authorities are trying to do. Is they're trying to track, like, the amount of uh, of, of raw steel. Well, uh, I no, guess that's you just have to go around and test the atomic levels of steel and all kinds of different like steel providers or something. Yeah, I mean that's that's just it. That's what they're going to have to do. Is they're going to have to keep a close eye out for uh, post-atomic. Or pre-atomic, sorry, weird wording there. Pre-atomic steel. Uh, now, a, a lot of it could be used for medical purposes, but um, you know, like yeah, you said, because you don't be want like radiated like... steel. You probably have to like do some kind of like process whenever you're making like surgical. Oh equipment. yeah, hardcore processing. I mean, we're, we're talking some serious smelting work here, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but like you said, it could be like a supervillain funding this shit. So who knows what the steel the fuck is, is used making for. some kind of crazy suit? <laughs> yeah, he, atomic a Gundam. Yeah, he's making a, a, a Gundam. <laughs> Shout out to my fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do they say? Up to like forty ships have already been damaged yeah. or missing. Forty plus shipwrecks. Now, uh, the the it, the first time it was noticed was I think in 2016 was when when we first noticed. Now, before then, now uh, oh, uh, some some major ships that have went missing. The HMS Prince of Wales, uh, a hard a big um, English battleship, is gone missing. The Prince of Wales, yeah, big boy. Holy shit. Um, yeah, yes. some serious, like we're talking, we're talking some serious stuff. Now, the thing is, is now, um, the largest of these wrecks are being heavily monitored, such as the Yamato, uh, which by, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, the Yamato was the largest battleship ever produced still is to this day, um, had the largest guns mounted on a naval vessel. To this day, still to this day. Okay? <laughs> so the Yamato is still being watched, as is the Bismarck. Was that on fucking War Thunder? No, actually. The Yamato, <laughs> no. You, you couldn't put that on there. I mean, the Yamato, if I'm not mistaken, they had, uh, hold on. Let me, let me actually Google this right fast so I don't get my fucking facts wrong. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, 480 millimeter guns. Holy shit. So I'm talking like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking lobbing a shell That's at you the size of the, as big around, yeah, a beach ball. Holy shit. Yeah, 
the Japanese were not messing around when they made that. Yeah, hold on, right here. I could be wrong. Could Thirty be centimeters is Actually. roughly a foot. So ah, it's a foot. Okay, and a half. the Amato. Actually, yeah, right here. The Amato's nine main guns mounted in three turrets. So three three-barreled turrets. They fired shells that were 18 inches in diameter. Or di- diameter. <laughs> diameter. Uh, and uh, they each shell weighed as much as a small car, and they could strike oh 25 miles away. Imagine being shot by a car. Away. Shot by something in a car. Being shot bullet. by a car. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. On the fucking game. Yeah, it was, um, they, they had planned, they had planned to make five of them, but only one was created. Well, actually there was two. There were two, Hell. there were two Yamato class, the Yamato and the Musashi. Who was that, Japanese, right? Yes. If they would have made five, they might have won the war. That's what they fucked up. Just about. Yeah. Just about. That's the that's the nuke on a boat. Oh, it carried. It was two hundred. It was eight hundred and thirty nine feet and eleven inches long. That's a skyscraper on its side. That's like Chrysler yep. building, dude. Yeah. Forty centimeter guns. Yeah, forty centimeter Type ninety. Dude, I know. It's crazy. I couldn't even... That's bigger... That's a bullet the size of your mid-waist. Foot and a half, dude. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. Gotta reach out and touch it from 25 miles away. Either way... That's over the, the horizon. Biggest... You could shoot over the horizon. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm sure that, like... See, uh... Uh, a conversation for another time, but definitely uh, something we should get into would just be the sheer, the sheer power and force behind the weapons created in World War II. <laughs> yeah, like another day. definitely some things looking. But I digress. The largest ships lost during World War II are being heavily watched and heavily protected. Luckily, uh, most of America's ships were lost in, well. The Bay of Pearl Harbor, so. <laughs> That's funny. That sounds bad. But not funny. It sounds bad. But it's, it's not funny. funny, but but luckily they're all right there where we can keep an eye on them, so. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Something to keep up with. Well. But so, I have one. Oh, yes. So. I'm excited. Um, I was talking about like, are you, we had talked about something where the planet X came up and I was talking about like Kuiper belt objects, like Pluto size and stuff. And then we, or I had mentioned talk of like a brown dwarf, maybe way out into the way out past the Kuiper belt and shit. But I was looking at it and I looked it up and I was trying to figure out because there really isn't anything on it. And then I found a, a paper where it hasn't been observed directly. It's more of just like a mathematical simulation in a computer. But there's these objects in the Kuiper right. Belt that follow a certain orbit. And 
the only way that they follow that orbit in the simulation if there's like a an object out there like this with uh like seven times more mass than Neptune or something like that. So Right. So there's something out there that they're orbiting around. Yeah, or it's well, it's gravity allegedly. is uh altering their orbits. So the only way okay. their orbits would be doing what they're doing is if there's a bigger mass interfering with their gravitational build and shit. But it hasn't been observed directly and it's only been in that guy's computer simulation. So, just saying. There may well, be some type of like Pluto-sized object or whatever. But, yeah, I've seen no evidence for... And I, I do want to point this out. Evidence for... Uh, uh, Planet X. Right. Well, see, the thing is, is like a lot of the, uh, the, the biggest place where we hear about it, and I know you're going to kill me for bringing this up, but it'll give you another chance to make a jab at them. But ancient aliens, they pretty much brought up the whole Nibiru thing, and, and, and that's the whole Planet X craze, which if I'm not mistaken, that's Christopher Hitchens, who admitted all of it was false on his deathbed. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, please. Zachariah but, Sitchins or, or Christopher Hitchens? Oh, maybe. Sitchins think, is the yeah, Anunnaki guy. That guy, yeah. Chris Hitchens is uh, Letters to a Christian Nation. Yeah, Shit, I my, see. I fucking I messed ass. that up. Please excuse me, Mr. Hitchens. Oh, my God. <laughs> but yeah, so Zachariah Sitchins, which... I want, I'm going to talk about the Anunnaki shit eventually because it's definitely been altered and where any anything that the ancient aliens talk, guys talk about has to do with the Anunnaki is completely like false and it just comes out of nowhere and was all for like Zachariah Sitchin's like uh, his little book series that he had like the 12th planet and shit yeah. like that where he completely made up the mining of gold you can go onto the Sumerian text database and search in Anunnaki and anything that relates to the Anunnaki will come up and you can read it because I've been doing that this week whenever I was researching Gilgamesh because they mention the Anunnaki mm. but they don't mention they just mention they're the watchers and the judges they don't mention anything they do don't they yeah don't they aren't they referred to as the Anak if I'm not mistaken the Anak Maybe, but, and and shit I've heard when I was listening to Gilgamesh, they referred to them as the Anunnaki. Yeah, yeah. I think but, the Anak, I think that's in the Bible, which that's a whole different, same people, just different. Yeah, just different cultures explaining yeah. certain shit, but. Yeah. The, I don't know, Anunnaki was like. They just kind of took it and ran with it, and nobody ever went back to the main source. They just took what Sitchin said as fact and never, and just kept repeating it and repeating it throughout the time, like especially with uh, Von Daniken all the way up to the modern day ancient aliens guys. Like, you can't have a conversation on any, anywhere without somebody bringing up the fucking Anunnaki or some shit. <laughs> It really gets under my skin every time. Yeah. It's like, well, you know that I've heard you heard of the Anunnaki, ain't you? Like, God, 
<laughs> face palming hard. Anti anti gravity like, devices. You really can't have it. You, <laughs> like with the the layman, you cannot because ancient aliens has been pumped down people's necks so hard. And they're just like, dude. <coughs> An alternate yeah, because I highly doubt that these. Yeah. Look, I mean, it, we gotta do, we gotta, I mean, look at it that way, yeah, it is an alternate theory, so, you know, people who are looking for a change or something look, like that, like, they, they kind of, like, Dude, that's how, I mean, honestly, I'm, I shit on ancient <laughs> aliens, but they were the thing that got me looking deeper into, like, ancient history and shit, because whenever it came out in, like, 2010... It was blowing my mm-hmm. mind, dude. Like, I would sit at my friend's house. Straight up. watch every new episode. Like, dude, that actually got me to go to Bible Whoa. history. Like, I took two years of Bible history because ancient aliens came out. And I wanted to be like, you know, tell people why aliens were in the Bible and shit. And then I learned about the history of the Bible. And then I just, over time, I just really, like, learned about the shit. And you don't need aliens to explain the things that occur yeah i mean we're not we're not we can't discredit aliens anymore i mean it's it's that's already like i just i just want to lay that out there but peel that band-aid off real to quick apply They're real. that to the shit that the ancient aliens guys are requiring it to is like bullshit yeah it's a publicity thing like i highly yeah. doubt that these these cultures or these civilizations are traveling trillions of light years to stack rocks yeah i highly doubt that like, like, don't take that away from us. We did that. People did that. But, and, again, they are great at making people look at how the standard model is completely flawed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They point out inconsistencies. But, again, they're get, they're not given credit where credit is due to the ancient man. Because, again, they're, th- they're promoting... They're promoting the same view as the standard model that man is stupid and can, they can never build none of these monuments just like the standard model is telling everybody that they've done this with very primitive technology and shit when there's obviously evidence for high technology. Not not oh, yeah. like crazy electronic shit and cars and airplanes, but there's definitely higher technology than... Just the primitive man had, and what they think they had, like copper saws, yeah. and people who didn't even have the will yet Ooh. did in ancient Egypt. Right. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, we're talking some serious, you know, some serious technological prowess. Have a civilization, civilization, gosh, I'm sorry, civilization that big and be able to run it that efficiently. I mean, yeah, you, you. Yeah. You're talking some serious balls there, man. So, I do give them credit for pointing people in the right direction in certain aspects. But, I don't give them credit for misinformation. Shit that they do. Like, they point people in the right direction and the wrong direction at the same time. (laughs) So, it confuses the shit out of people. But, I guess that's my rant on Ancient Aliens. It was on Planet X. I guess the conclusion with but that hey, is all simulated. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all just a simulation. 
yeah, I guess Zach, Zachariah Sitchin's kind of got that shit because there's certain like inscriptions that show yeah, just ran with it stuff and yeah he just everybody took off with it and never went to the source to figure out what it really said Mm. yeah but whatever whatevs do you have any uh any other thing that you wanted to talk Um, about actually uh i i did uh Oh, let me go through my notes. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, well, just go ahead and get this out of the way. I did find, I found a great uh, ancient job, like one that we didn't really think about. (laughs) One that we really got to, really got to give it to the guy. Okay. All right. Now, last week we did. Oh, yeah. Last week, as you know, we did, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the, the nomenclature, if yeah, I'm not mistaken, so yeah. we did last So calling out names and stuff like that. Well, this week, found a pretty good one. Um, there was such thing as a Vestal Virgin. It was pretty much, it was, that was a big deal in Rome. Uh, families would pick the, uh, the, one of the prettiest of the daughters. And pretty much, uh, and lock her or lock her up in a chastity belt for all of her life. And she had to be the standing, uh, yeah, yeah, Vestal Virgin. But now get this, get this, get this. This is the best part. At the age of forty, she would be sacrificed. Who so, the fuck? One, what religion was yeah. that? <laughs> That was uh, that was in the uh, Romans. That was with the Romans. With the uh, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, they got it from the Greeks. So I guess initially the Greeks did it, and she would be the uh, the um, uh, what was her Betra? I think it was Betra. Is it Betra the goddess or Petra mm-hmm. or something like that? But the goddess of the homestead and fertility and or not fertility but virginity and pureness and wholeness. She was pretty much to be an outstanding member of the family and like. You know, we're all really, really good people, but she's definitely the best one. Like, who do we want to be judged out off of? Her. That's it, right there. <laughs> so, either way, 40 years, you can't fuck, and then That's when you're funny. done, we're going to sleep your throat and bleed you <sighs> off of the gods. You're just, like, born to be fucking... It's I don't fucked. even know. I mean, yeah. well, not really. To be not... The lack thereof. That's just fucked. <laughs> the whole situation's fucked and also not fucked. Ah! Damn. Anyway. Well, yeah, go ahead and get that out of the way. Yeah, lighten the oh, mood. Oh, uh... Yeah, lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, some shark news for you. Uh, Unamaki. She's now back in the... Oh, God. I better give a little context. Unamaki is a... Almost 16-foot female great white. Big. Uh, she's one of the largest tagged by the O-Search um, Foundation. They, they tag a lot of sharks and stuff like that. They've got an app you can download and keep track of the sharks. Well, she's, uh, she's now finished her third transatlantic coast journey. I'm talking from the coast, from the tippy-top of Maine, all the way down to Louisiana, 
back all the way up. Hmm. Third, two years. So, Damn, I was following that electromagnetic actually, current. <laughs> no, no. Um, but she, uh, fun fact, she's uh, she's now fifty years old. Fuck. And through her, we've actually learned uh, that sharks contain. Or have a, have a crazy ability. They, they they have memories. They have really really good memories. She's actually gotten to the point now that where she she knows like when the people come to check out her tags, she knows what to do. She kind of like chills out and lets them do her thing. Like it's pretty crazy. Unamaki, look her up. She's beautiful. Dude, that's cool. Just fucking cruising. Anyway, just flying through yeah. the water. Oh yeah, sharks, mysterious. Scary. Deadly. And, well, deadly, yeah. <laughs> Apex predators, man. Apex yeah. fucking predators. But that's it for me, Scott. What do you got? Okay. Well, I did find an interesting story. Uh, so, you know, the common thought in general society right now is that humans are destroying all the forest and everything's disappearing and turning to desert and becoming desolate but a new study suggests that that is kind of bullshit and i'm not saying oh, that humans aren't completely polluting the earth and impacting certain species and really fucking shit right. up but when it comes to forest growth that is not the case so, researchers from the University of Maryland and the State University of New York and NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center has um, used like 16 different satellites for the past 35 years, and which would span from 1982 to 2016. That's when the study took place. But they <clears throat> they found out that more than... 2.4 million square kilometers of forest growth has occurred in the past 35 Damn. years. Growth? Yeah, 2.4 million square kilometers of growth in the hmm. past 35 years. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Which we do know in like the 1700s to like the mid 1900s we was chopping down every fucking tree in sight because we was laying railroads right. building houses that are made of complete wood like everything was open game and then yeah then you have like the formation of like national parks and state parks and shit in like the early 30s and up into the 40s and stuff where they started putting like more regulations and shit on like forest like deforestation and clear cutting and stuff like that so you know we've had like the uh green earth movement and shit over the past 30 or 40 years you know what right. earth day was in the 60s i mean do you know when earth day started anyway yeah wasn't it uh yeah i was gonna say that that did start in the 60s didn't it when everyone yeah. was like hey hold on all right let's slow down let's quit fucking destroying every forest in sight so i mean that has they mean they've had all kinds of programs laws have been put into place i mean you have like a planet tree for every tree you cut down 
you know, you have selective cutting, which has, like, helped tremendously. But they say there's a 7.1 increase in, like, a forest growth compared to what there was in 82. So it ain't just, like, area of growth. It's percentage of growth, like, over time. So it's, like, <clears throat> so you could kind of compare it to the co2 level rise if it is even rising but more co2 is more fucking fresh air for the plants because they breathe in carbon dioxide so it, i mean it's a win-win for them so it's like a Shit. it's like every, wow it's getting warmer if it is getting warmer it's helping them you have uh trees growing at higher altitudes on mountain line or on uh, tree lines on mountains, um, uh, most of the deserts are shrinking. They're get, like greenery is encroaching on the outer edges. It's coming in more, choking in the deserts. Um, higher up on the Arctic Circle is getting more uh, tree growth. So mm. pretty much everywhere oh, yeah. that has been desolate for the past so long is getting a lot more tree growth. So. Now, if we could just do that with fish, we'll be all right. <laughs> Bring back the sturgeon. But, hell yeah, so forests are actually growing. That's, yeah, so that's, that's incredible. Yeah, so all that work we've done over the past 35, 40 years has actually helped out. Some, we've probably had more forests than we've had in the past two or 300 years since it's We've colonized the Americas. Yeah. Because me and my uh, buddy at work did the math one day on how many railroad ties it took, and I can't even remember, but it was like 78 million or something railroad ties. Damn. Just do your math on how many trees that would be and how many, like, we did the math one. I can't remember. I wish I would have saved it, but it's like a staggering amount just of railroad ties and wood. Let alone all oh, the yeah. towns and fucking buggies and everything that was being made out of wood. So, yeah, we did a number. Oh, of, yeah, you. I mean, all that shit you're you're just time. talking railroad ties. You're not talking like the fucking houses where these guys lived. Yeah, the fucking bridges, the fucking like, yeah, dude. Yeah, it was upwards That's of seventy something million railroad ties for the uh, whatever all the railroads were being built in America and across Europe or well, maybe just America. Oh, Holy shit. Yeah. Fucking incredible dude. So, yep. 78. Million. And, wow. uh, just, I think there's one more little stupid info. It's 3.1% of open ground has decreased. So that means all the like open fields and open Plains and shit like that have actually decreased by three point one percent. Shit, because the forests are growing in, you know. So as the forests wow. grow, the open plains and shit decrease. But it looks like it's mostly in, uh, like Asia, and Eurasia and stuff like that. Huh. So yeah, that's that. Nice. That's pretty good little news. Forest growth is increasing. Instead of decreasing, as we've been programmed to think. God, I love that. I love when we're wrong. Yeah. Not all the time, though. 
Yeah. Oh man. But I do also have. All right. Um, I know last week we was talking about the Topper site and the Mesa Verde site, and oh, how yes. those dates have predated a lot of the Clovis dates and a lot of that stuff. So I've now, before to... we get into this, would you mind doing just like a quick rundown on what it, what Clovis is exactly for yeah, okay. our viewers? Right. Just in case? so Clovis is basically the group of people that we think came down through the ice-free corridor in Canada. So you had the Laurentide ice sheet and the Cordillerian ice sheet, or the Cordillerian ice sheet. Right. And whenever we uh, the ice started melting around the time of the Younger Dryas, it had a big ice-free corridor, which basically came right down through the center of Canada. And they think that's when the people came over from uh, Russia and Asia the Bering Land Bridge came down and populated the Americas. And nice. that was dated to around... And they were... What's up? I said, and that, so they were the Clovis people. Yes, yes. Uh, Coming over, the, so people who came over the land bridge. Yeah, Clovis. and they're very right. distinct with like their certain type of, uh, how they made their uh, spear points and arrow points and stuff like that. That's, like you hear a Clovis point, it's very distinct tools that they made that are required to that culture and they they was found all over North America but they were all dated to around 11,000 years ago or 11,000 BC but there's been a lot of uh, new evidence coming out well even since like the 70s there's been evidence coming out that the Clovis models have been shit but it's been it's had so much pushback by so many archaeologists over the years, you know, because, you know, you teach the Clovis model so long and you put your life work into that, that they're the first, you don't want to, it's hard to correct yourself. So you just got to be open-minded in the scientific field. That's the point of science. Yeah. But, um, so those dates came back that at least, 13,000 to 16,000 years. Um, the Topper site even had 50,000-year-old dates, but I guess they're more controversial, but it at the oldest 50,000 years right now. But, so over the, I think Nature put out an article this, this week that pretty much brought into mainstream that the Clovis is pretty much done, and there was definitely cultures here before that. You know, it's in a, mainstream news article now so there you yeah, go yeah like it, it's it's not just a theory anymore this is yeah it's legit so um i guess uh Bacara Bladivia put a had a new study of the radiocarbon dating and um that was in alaska the yukon and canada and uh, in the united states and they all came back 13,000 plus years ago so before Clovis <clears throat> shit but um so multiple sites in North and South America are forcing archaeological communities to adjust their views and rethink the timeline that has been pushed for decades the uh oh here's a good the uh Chiquin Huayte cave in uh, northern Mexico they found 
uh, dates in there that were 26,500 years old. Which is fucking God double, damn. double the uh, timeline for uh, Clovis, yeah. Ooh. And I I didn't know Holy about that one until I was researched until I seen this paper, which uh, it's weird because you think somebody was here twenty six thousand years ago, and then there was people here twelve thousand years ago, and then you had like kind of like a like right now we're on the other end of that cycle, but the great year cycle, if you know about that. Is like the zodiacal processional cycle that's 26,000 years old or 26,000 year cycle or 25,920 yeah. years, which is just right at the uh, threshold for people to be here and then be wiped away during another cataclysm that could have happened right there at the because uh, that's right in a glacial maximum, I think. Ooh, so what you're saying is, is we could be we could be next. Yeah, well, every 12,000 years, or roughly mm. 12, 13,000 years. Kind of love those odds. So, just, I like to bring shit back to the uh, Great Year Cycle and the Meteor Stream Cycles, because it gets weird. It gets a little weird. Too, just a little too much bit. stuff for coincidental shit. Yeah. That's just it. There's there's like a certain point where it stops being coincidence and starts being like, okay, this is happening more regularly, you know, more regularly. Yeah. Huh. But um, they now they have a uh, five more no. sites in Brazil that date from uh, at least twenty thousand to thirty thousand, but I think their date came back to about twenty seven thousand years. But I think that's about twenty six thousand five hundred to twenty seven thousand. You get give or take, whatever. But they also think that there was a um, an ice free corridor again in Canada at about twenty six thousand years to nineteen thousand years. So there was also one then, and then they think there was one at like eleven thousand years, whenever the Clovis people came on to North America. Shit. So there could be multiple so, cycles because you know the ice melts and I mean we have interglacial yeah. glacial maximums and yeah. So there could be yeah, multiple see. waves that came over the Siberian uh, or the whatever you call the land bridge. Bearing land bridge. Yeah. Gotcha. That could be I mean that's definitely stuff. I mean, we can't we can't chalk any of that out. You got you definitely got to think like looking at the Clovis people, and then looking at the evidence we have now. I mean, now we've got way more questions than we. I mean, just sitting at oh, the Clovis people were the first ones here. Well, obviously, we know that it's not fact anymore. We have 100% proof evidence that people were here long before they were. Okay. Well, now we have more questions. Furthermore, science and furthermore archaeology to do to 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 figure out where did they come from? Yeah. Or were they always here? Were there people? Were there were there sapien people during the time of of the great 
you know, divide when when Pangea and 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 you know kind of split apart and went its separate ways. Did did people survive that? Were there people spat out on this, or were they, you know, ancient seafarers like the 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 uh, the port uh, Polynesian seafarers? Like were they those people yeah. that just kind of landed down there way before them? I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I've been pondering on. I don't know about you, but I like these questions. I was pondering on since there's like cycles within cycles. I mean, there could have been more than a dozen waves of people, like every couple thousand years. You know, you have a great society; they end up being seafaring, so they end up exploring. Then a catastrophe comes; everybody gets separated. A lot of people die. You end up getting back into a warm period. You build up again. You end up going and seafaring. You explore again, and the cycle continues. You know, I mean, you don't necessarily have to go seafaring every time, but you end up, people explore, and people spread out, and then a disaster comes or something like that, and you forget your origins or whatever, you know, then you don't know where you're... It keeps going. Yeah. And I think that's what's happened right now. We don't know what happened before the Younger Dryas. There's obvious evidence of worldwide contact, you know, with each other. 100%. Things we'll just never um, know. Yeah. Just, that's a nice little paper. I've seen a, quite a few people going over it this week, so I kind of just want to touch on it, too. I thought it was pretty cool. Pretty much vindicating the uh, ancient world travelers shit fucking awesome man but yeah well you got anything else nah I'm actually I'm actually tapped out this week man had a hard week at work so I didn't get to do much yeah just but I do remember you wanting to go over the story of Gilgamesh so yeah so I kind of dove into Gilgamesh I mean I've kind of heard a story over you know forever ago and Never really got into it, but then recently I've been wanting to like dive into like ancient origin stories and because I haven't really got into Sumeria a whole lot, like I didn't really know much about them. So I wanted to do like a personal deep dive and also do a deep dive for the show, just so right, you know, people listening can get like a a layman view on it and kind of like a different perspective of certain shit. Right. Yeah. But Gilgamesh is a pretty good story. Like, it's the first story, well, we think, that's was written down and recorded. So I figured it was more appropriate to have that one of the first ancient texts that we went over. But the oldest known uh, copy of Gilgamesh was about 2100 BC. Even though we do know, we think, that he is he was actually king around 2800 BC so they had this oral tradition for about 800 years but that's crazy because the earliest Sumerian city states were already around for like 25 more 100 years from 5, 5300 BC to 280 
Wow. 2800 BC. That's like already a shitload of time for the Sumerians to have existed. And like, I feel like they're one of the more understudied ancient religion or ancient civilizations. And you kind oh, of, yeah. I mean, a lot of their sites like, have been lost due to the fucking war in the Middle East. I mean, we don't have fucking shit on the Sumerians. Like, all you ever hear about is the fucking Anunnaki. That's what kills me. You can't talk about the Sumerians. But, oh, you hear about mm-hmm. Anunnaki. <sighs> oh, yeah. They believed in aliens and fucking this, but we forget yeah. that they, 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 like, had a written language. They had a, a mathematics structure. They had, like, God, they had... Everything. I mean, the city of Ur. If I'm not mistaken, I mean that that's that was uh, that was one of the seven wonders of world, uh, seven wonders of the world, wasn't it? I think so. Thank you, Robert. At, at one at one point, I know one of their cities were, but a lot of their shit's being blown up by you uh, know all the war that's going on over there, dude. People just yeah, uh, this is right at Iraq. So much history right there at Iraq and Kuwait, that whole area. It's just fucking sickening. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... I was looking at like a Gilgamesh map and uh, it's pretty cool because they kind of show you all the ancient cities and where they were and it's right there up to Euphrates and Tigris River. It's cool like to think. But it's not cool to think that they've all been blown to shit in the past 20 years. 25 years. Monuments, man. man. <laughs> All the people that get to go, that have to go save all those fucking artifacts is insane. They would think you'd have to fucking wear yeah, a, like a dangerous job, a bomb suit to go rescue some fucking mm. ancient artifacts. But you know, he's getting to the epic of Gilgamesh. I guess we'll start off with Gilgamesh. Um, <clears throat> he was basically he described as a giant. Um, he was two thirds god and one third man. And I heard somebody say, if you if you look at man as like an average six foot height, and he times it by times him by three, he'd be eighteen foot. And I think he's uh, measured at like eleven cubits, which would be about eighteen feet. Damn. Yeah. And into the whole Nephilim giant <coughs> bullshit. Yeah. Giants definitely existed. Now, when people think like fucking fee-fi-fo-fum giants no but there definitely was larger more there's more concentrated more common like huge ass people than like compared to today and like it was there you know like today when most people are like giants they have like gigantism and it's like a disability but like i feel like that was more of like a natural it wasn't like back a, then. It was. It wasn't normal. like an ailment. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, no, I'm good. But there's, my body can support. Yeah, the there's, weight. there's giants found in the mounds, and all in fucking dozens and dozens of mounds in the Americas that are seven to ten feet. Some of them, I think, the largest uh, one was like eleven feet something. So I mean, it's definitely. Oh. Yeah. So. That's a huge bitch. <laughs> so, there's that. So, I feel like he could be somewhat 
of a giant if he was a real person. Gilgamesh could just be a representation of a place or a group of people. Yeah, I'm sure he's gotten. Because I have like over been, the years of that story being told, I'm sure he's gotten taller. Because I have been like pointed to look at uh, certain shit as like, um, like they tell you shit that's like not true, but it's an actual truth, and I don't know, it's hard to. I don't know, it's hard to explain. (laughs) Yeah. But, (laughs) but, anyways, um, he was the king of Uruk, or Uruk, or however, Uruk, and, um... Yeah, Uruk. That's the most, that's what I've heard. In Uruk, they had, uh, there's known for great walls, and it was rumored that the foundations of these walls were laid by the seven sages. Now, uh, seven is a number that is repeated in the Epic of Gilgamesh numerous times and I'll point out most of those times but <clears throat> and then Gilgamesh apparently built the walls on top of the foundations that the seven sages laid now the seven sages and the <coughs> magicians of the gods and the fingerprints of the gods are described as like knowledge bringers or like <coughs> people who <coughs> came and taught people certain shit so he's saying like the foundation was laid by the sages, which in my right. we're totally getting esoteric here, but no, yeah, like the foundation of like that civilization or that kingdom being, was laid by being the laid by the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking epic, dude. That's how I looked at it. But I mean, honestly, that's that's what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at stories like this and take them from our own perspectives. Yeah, I mean this is a learning thing, but please continue. This is this is fucking beautiful. Please. <laughs> so Gilgamesh, he's like a big king, you know, doing what kings do. He's uh, known for being like a kind of like a tyrant. He goes around fucking with and people, um, and a slut. Yeah, <laughs> just doing shit because he wants to do it. He's known for uh, taking every banging everyone's wife. Um, oh yeah! For taking all the virgins, leaving no virgins for any other man. Um, so he's being a slut, going around town doing what he wants to do because he's the fucking king, and he can. But the people he's oppressing start getting very upset, so they want to either get rid of him or give him an equal to help bring him down a notch. So they're praying to Anu and Aruru. Which these are kind of like the antagonists of the pantheon. They're like, right, the Punisher gods, I guess you could say. Yes, the elder ones. Yeah. So jealous elder ones. They pray to the gods, and uh, Aruru picked up a handful of clay and dropped it into the wilderness, and then Enkidu is created. So Enkidu is kind of like a wild man, like the first ever man beast. Yeah, he's the first ever man beast. He lived with the animals. He was a beast, as they were, basically. Oh, yeah. He lived with them for like the first little bit of his life. And um, I guess he starts going to this water hole where this one uh, trapper goes to. So Ikidu is being a beast as he is. He's filling in 
his pits. He's sabotaging his traps. He's just being a beast, basically. So this guy, yeah, he gets pissed and he goes and tells his dad, and he's like, "Fucking a dad." <laughs> there's a <laughs> this a, fucking dude's busting my traps up. Damn there's it. a demigod entity that keeps filling in my pits. So <laughs> his dad tells him about the King Gilgamesh and how great he is and that he could take him down if he, you know, just told Gilgamesh about him. So. Oh, shit. So, yeah, after that, um, he goes and meets the Gilgamesh, I guess, and then Gilgamesh tells him to take a prostitute. So... The trapper takes a prostitute back to lure Ikidu. So they wait. They go back to the water hole. They wait for three days. Which there's multiple uses of like seven, three, and a couple. I think twelve is used a few times. So there's some right. Kind of, so some serious number. Yeah, some kind of number shit going on. Numerology. Can't really here. Understand. But, so, they lure him, and they tell the prostitute, whenever you see him, I want you to get butt naked, and he'll come over here. <laughs> She's like, alright, if you pay me, I'll do whatever you want. So, and I just want to point out that prostitution is supposedly the oldest profession. But that was a side note. Uh, I, yeah, I just I do want to point that out. I, I didn't want to say that, but for our ancient job thing, that's the only reason I've left prostitution out because that's the OG yeah I mean it's the ancient so, job carrying on so oh yeah so after three days trying to lure Inky Doo he finally comes and she strips and lures Inky Doo into her devil woman ways so they oh, go yeah. at it for six days and seven nights until uh, Inky Doo is pretty much satisfied but i wanted to get into this so inky do is taught the ways of the woman and whenever he goes back to the forest to be with the beast they no longer accept him which is like i took that oh shit like um he was taught the feminine he's been tainted like in, yeah, if you if we go back to like the first episode, the feminine is basically the esoteric knowledge, like the ways of the spirit and the you know the knowledge of right the esotericism yeah. and stuff like that, all that deep spiritual knowledge and stuff. So he was yeah, he was shown his more spiritual side. Yeah, he was like shown okay. the ways of man or. So he was given the knowledge, basically, is the way I understood it. And I feel like it was a connection to the feminine or something like that. And if I'm just looking at it as an esoteric eye, I feel like that's kind of what happened. Because he was taught the ways of the feminine, and then he became wise like man. And he was no longer accepted by the beast of the forest. More like ignorant like man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, that's how I looked at that. And, um... It's a, it's a good viewpoint, Scott. I really enjoy that. 
So, after that, Enkidu lost some of his power. He was now wise like a god. The prostitute wanted him to take him back to meet Gilgamesh. So, after she had met him Shit. and learned his power and tainted him, she wanted to take him to meet Gil- Gilgamesh. So, Enkidu decides he'll go meet Gilgamesh, but he's going to challenge him to prove his strength and to prove that he's, you know, the Mac Daddy, basically. So, right. But the gods tell Gilgamesh that he's going to end up coming one one day, and kind of like spoils Enkidu's surprise on Gilgamesh. So Gilgamesh knows Enkidu will one day come. But Gilgamesh dreams. Um, so Gilgamesh is having a dream, and he obviously dreams like this dream is obviously a meteorite, like oh shit event, like. This is obviously explaining some type of event that happened in the Middle East or something like that. Because he's, he pictures like a meteorite falls. Oh shit. All the people come to kiss it and worship it and then Gilgamesh takes it to his mother, Ninsen, or his mother figure. And Ninsen, the god, says, or his mother god or his mother or whatever says that she sent it to Gilgamesh, basically. But... I think um, the meteorite represents Enkidu. Like he has a, there's something coming for Enkidu that will be a gift from his mother, basically. But it's obviously explaining the meteorite impact. But in the story, it's a representation of Enkidu coming. Oh shit! So, so a little time passes. They're uh, they're somewhere. Enkidu gets drunk, and he indulges in the ways of man. Um, so he lived with shepherds for a little bit, you know, just living life until the time finally comes, and uh, Gilgamesh just happens to be in his town. And, oh uh, shit! So Gilgamesh is going around taking all the women for himself, doing what Gilgamesh does. Nikidu gets angry, and he decides he's going to go do something, so he goes to meet Gilgamesh. So he makes it to Uruk, and he makes a scene in front of Gilgamesh, and people are rejoicing that Gilgamesh is finally going to be beat by somebody who's stronger than him. Well, this I love this line. I took this line down specifically. It says, Enkidu and Gilgamesh lock like bulls. It has, like, multiple references to bulls and, like, bulls being fought and wrestled and stuff like that. So, I feel like it's man's constant battle with the torrid meteor stream or the bull in the sky. Because it's always a bull in the sky or something like that. So, I feel like that's a straight reference to the torrids. Because we all know that the bull is a representation for the torrids. Torrid meteor stream, which is actually, which is funny because Torrid meteor stream comes off a comet Anki. I thought that was a weird coincidence. I don't think it's spelled the same. But Oof. I thought that was funny. Hmm. But strange. Uh, after they fought, or Enkidu was too weak to beat Gilgamesh, but Gilgamesh wouldn't piss, so it just made Enkidu his friend. And I was looking at some, uh, 
what do you call lectures and stuff. I mean, they're like saying that they used to be lovers or they was lovers or that was more than just a friendship, which I don't know. I guess you can look deeper into it, but I didn't really, I guess it could be, but they do I mean, describe like a deep love for each other more than just like, but he calls him a brother more than anything. Well, I mean, if you look at it, it's a, it's like a respect among predators. It's like yeah. when the bear, you know, is across the river from the wolf, you know, like they're both there to get water. Neither of them, you know, see the opportunity, like neither of them are like, all right, let's not do this because you could potentially fuck me up. I could potentially fuck you up. Yeah. So. But. It's so cool. Gilgamesh takes Inky Doo under his wing or as his right hand man, basically. Actually, he says his left hand, but. <laughs> but Enkidu got weak, so he is no longer Gilgamesh's equal, so Gilgamesh beat him. But Gilgamesh is thinking that he hasn't had his name written down in history. He doesn't have his name inscribed on any temples or buildings or nothing like that. So he wants to make a name for himself. And now he has another strong-ass person by his side that could possibly make that happen. So they decide that they want to do something great. And he decides he wants to go to the great forest to conquer the one and only fucking demon beast, Umbaba. Umbaba. His sole purpose was created by Enlil to guard the fucking great cedar forest. Which, and I looked up, because it's kind of like a vague reference, but Lebanon had like the most notorious cedar forest in the Middle East back then, and it's referenced in a bunch of different texts and stuff like that, so they kind of narrowed it down. Oh, shit. That they made their journey to Lebanon and the cedar forest. Wow. <laughs> Which is all the way back over by, like, to the to the west, towards Israel and stuff. Right. Which I thought that was pretty cool, but... So, they pray to Shamash, which is um, just some uh, a god in the pantheon, and uh, they declare that they will conquer the forest in the name of Shamash, and if they give them their blessing, they will make a bunch of sacrifices and make temples in their name and praise them and shit like that. So Shamash is like, hell yeah, I want to be praised. So they give them the blessing to go attack Umbaba. <laughs> oh shit! So they're going to go fight the forest demon. Yeah. Oh god, dude. Fucking see, man. Whatever happened to epics like that? Like, I want to hear a story about it. Like, you know, fucking a man fighting a giant beast. I, I fuck this. This whole technological age and age without <laughs> wonder and age without mystery, you know? Like, they didn't have guns. They had fucking, like, swords and, and fists. Man oh. shit. Spears. I'm sure they used spears. That seemed to be a big weapon. Yeah. Hmm. And I was also thinking, like, so Umbaba is basically the demon spirit that guards the cedar forest and, a, and the cedar mountain or whatever. But I was looking at it like, 
Baba is just like the personification of the mountain itself. Like it's now the, you see, like it is it's, the demon right slayer fucking thing that nobody can conquer. Yeah, the mountain itself. See, it's funny you should bring that up because man, uh, there's a there's a story that kind of went through the the army and and through the marines, actually through the, all the armed forces and stuff about the Middle East. Like there was a lot of like a lot of the people over there would speak about the ghosts in the hills and stuff like that. And and there was even a story going around that an entire platoon got taken out by some giant living in a cave. And yeah, like, I've heard that. Now, I've that's seen just that it. video. Now, 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 hear me out. Now, uh, there's there's a lot of fakes that we got to know that we got you know there's a lot of bullshit in the water. But to hear the way that some of these people spoke and, and like how how much fear that they 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 shown when you know when when speaking of certain areas and certain places like they just would not go there. And like, it, you mean it, like the natives it, and stuff, right? It, it, yeah, them. They would talk like just the way they would talk about certain places and stuff. You know, it gave you an eerie feeling. Like, you know, how many sheep have you lost out there? You know, how many goats? So I know me and you have both watched Josh Gates over the years, right? Yes. And yes. I know you used to watch Destination Truth back in the day. Yes. I started watching it back in two thousand seven. Well, he would go in every show looking for the most outrageous fucking nonsensical creatures in the most remote parts of the world. And these people would be fucking serious, straight up, bold-faced, telling him (coughs) that there's a fucking crazy-ass creature that they know does not exist, (coughs) but they are telling him just because, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm sure some of them did believe it. But, like, the creatures that they describe are obviously, like, mythological creatures that he knew right. didn't exist. Ever, the whole crew knew they didn't exist, but they're there for TV. But you go so, to a distant yeah. land somewhere and ask these natives questions, they're going to fucking just bullshit with you. Well, see, that's just it. And and that's what we – that's what everyone did. I and mean, we, we always blew it off. But – you know, looking back at it in, in like a psychological standpoint, um, we're talking about people who like, like don't like ninety percent of them won't see the age of forty. Like these people, like death is in their everyday routine. So like, they're not typically there to beat around the bush and whatnot. So I, I mean, I get. I get there's a lot of fucking fear and stuff out there, but I feel like a lot of these ancient tales coming out of the Middle East dealing with giants and stuff, just being beasts of men. Oh, I do not discount giant shit at all. And I do know that that one tale that there was like a whole platoon of Marines that came in contact with this giant that had three rows of teeth and it fucking ripped everybody apart. That story is There was never any... Yeah, there was That's never any like YouTube solid story. evidence. But yeah, it was one of those like creepy pastas and shit. But there, there was. But it's I, like I, for I like uh, a lot of us thought it was a psychological thing. Like they would tell us that to fuck with us. So, dude, and I know, you, know you have heard of the disinformation shit that 
people do like in these secretive operations that they will tell one person oh, yeah. that they know will most likely leak some shit and they'll tell them the most mm-hmm. outrageous shit because they yep. know they're going to go leak that info and then people will take them as a credible source even though and they intentionally gave them false information so it's it's hard to say dude just because you don't even if they are credible sources they could have got information that was false and them not even know it not that they're lying right but they're telling the truth that they know right so they like you know this is all just word of mouth and stuff like that right right like I, i'm not i'm not jumping to say that we should believe it but I, what i'm i guess what i'm trying to point out is like the tales of giants and tales of beasts coming out of this area have been there for now what 13,000 yeah yeah fucking uh, thousands of years yeah so and I do definitely think that there was more giants quote unquote giants you could say back then right it was more prevalent my view on it is like it was probably like a recessive gene or a gene of some sorts that more people had back then and it was just bred out and now we don't really have it (gasps) that's what I think (laughs) Well, you know, <coughs> proof of selective breeding is all around us. I mean, look at the domesticated cat, dog, and whatnot. Yeah. Which domestication is a really weird thing in itself. It's really complicated. It's kind of like the animal Fuck has it. to domesticate itself, and you have to influence it as well. It has to want to be domesticated. Right. At first, I feel like there has to be some kind of benefit. Because there's just some animals you can't domesticate. Right, like you're not going to fucking like domesticate a fucking shark. Yeah. Or a, or a fucking, you know. You can't, you, there is, you cannot domesticate a fox. You will not find a domestic fox anywhere. They're always yeah. going to be wild That's as true. shit. <laughs> and I know that you're a, you're a huge snake guy, but I, I do want to point out, like, you can't really truly domesticate a snake. No, either. you can just get a chill one. <laughs> you can yeah, get a chill get one a chill or one not chill one. one. You just fucking flip the coin. Mine's Luck pretty chill. At that point. Uh, yeah, because I got a really chill one that's never even how is, acted uh, aggressive. How is, He's how nice. is old Carlton? <laughs> Randall. <laughs> He's nice. He's a good little serpent. Nice. Nice. Okay, but let's get back on Gilgamesh because I know we've yes, been back to Gilgamesh. We're going to fight Umbaba. Yeah, so uh, Ninson takes takes Enkidu as her son and pretty much sees her as the brother of Gilgamesh. Ninson is Gilgamesh's mother figure. Right, the the mother goddess thing. Yeah. So they. Finally make it to the forest. Um, Enkidu led the way since he is the beast of the forest and has been there before. Um, after 50 leagues, which I looked up what a league is, it's 3.4 miles. So I guess 50 times 3.4, you roughly so, 175 miles maybe. But Which would be a two, uh, two months distance walk, they said. For that amount. But wow. Gilgamesh, so. whenever they made it to the forest before they entered, Gilgamesh had a crazy dream. 
that a great bull wrestled with Gilgamesh. The great bull darkened the sky and caused great chaos. The great bull seized Gilgamesh's arm and he had bitten his tongue. The wild bull, I guess the wild bull was a figure of Shamash. I don't know why they would correlate Shamash with a destructor, but that's just what it says. Right. But, um, well, I mean, obviously, it, it said dark in the sky, right? So yeah. you were saying that the the, the bull is, is like a reference to something and like the, the demon of the mountain. Well, maybe, I mean, I don't I don't want to sound like crazy or nothing, but I'm kind of thinking of Volcano here. Hmm. Perhaps. I don't know of any volcanoes in that area, though. Right. Yeah, there could be none. Could be, but like, the fact uh, that it references know, the bull, dark of the sky, and, and we know that meteorites come out of the torrid of the bull oh, and will darken the sky and eclipse, and eclipse. So something would come in front of the sun. Oh. Well, if you, let's just say you have an impact, because right. So they they call it the bull because the torrid meteor stream radiates out of the shoulder of the Torrid constellation. So if they say, like, you wrestled with a great bull, and then the sky darkened, I feel like it would be a reference to a meteorite, like, blacking out the sky or something after an impact. Shit, so like a dust cloud, pretty much. Exactly. Okay, all right. So, so here we go. Uh, now, the torrid meteor stream. Just to fucking get some context, there. Torrid meteor stream is the one that we go through. How many times a year? We go through is it twice? twice. We to um, the end end of June, and at the end of October, beginning of November. So, what you get now? The summer torrids, which is what gave you the Tunguska, June thirtieth, nineteen oh eight. Meteorite day, and then you Oof. get the end of October, um, like Day of the Dead festivals and Halloween and shit like that, Halloween referencing, yeah. referencing like great destruction and death and a very ancient memory mm-hmm. that's been, you know, like changed instilled into our DNA. Yeah. yeah, but that's celebrated all okay. over the world at the same time. That's true. Like that's not like a Christmas thing. That's like a like uh, that's beyond Christmas. Yeah, there are like multiple different holidays that are basically Day of the Dead, or there's some kind of reference to dead shit, and it's all end of October, beginning of November, within three or four days of each other. Jeez. Okay. Now, and the Torrid meteor stream, or the Torrid, uh, I guess you. Uh, now, was that, that? Is that like? a comet or is this just a, a, a debris belt that's just kind of well happened do we know what a, that's from they th- they say it's from comet inky which is a periodic comet and uh right it uh broke up roughly anywhere from 20,000 to 13,000 well i guess 20,000 to 15,000 years ago i think that's what i heard and then it ended up dispersing over time, which gives you a longer 
you know, belt around the sun, but they have, uh, like, uh, you'll have, like, concentration patches, you know, so you'll have, like, denser material in one area of the stream, and you'll have less material in one area of the stream, right. so they think... So it's a hit or miss of whether or not we're going to actually get hit by something each time we go through it, like... We're, yeah, well, we're really you're definitely going to get some kind of meteor shower. That's where you get the meteor showers from, going through a debris Right, stream. right. Uh, yeah. But, so the theory is that they have heavier, denser patches, right? So, and they think that it's cyclical, so you can time it. And one theory is that every 10 to 13,000 years will uh, go through a denser patch. And that's where we'll get like a huge cataclysm from an impact or, you know, multiple impacts over a certain amount of time, you know, cause if you go through, it might last right. multiple years, you know, the, the dense patch oh, might shit. be multiple years long, not just like one little patch. So <laughs> you might have a bombardment event. That's intense. All right. So Gilgamesh was wrestling. Yeah, so, a great, or you said uh, the uh, great bull. Yeah, so it kind of had a dream. A, uh, yeah, he had a dream of wrestling with a great bull that blacked out the sky and caused great chaos. So that just gives mm. you a reference to why the bull might be, you know, more important in certain ancient texts next time you look at them because it's highly referenced. Mm. I suggest you go to Carl yeah, Randall Carlson. Randall Carlson's uh, Geocosmic Rex page, he goes over quite a bit of material on the Torrid Meteor stream and his Cosmographia podcast, mm. which is great. Both amazing. So, but um, it says a huge light was produced greater than anything in the world. A plan to conquer the mountain as a meteorite or the gods or the bulls had. So, it even says oh, meteorite, shit. which is crazy. I did oh, hear well. the guy reading it say meteorite one time, which is pretty cool. So, it ain't just me pointing that out. Um, yeah, it's everybody. Nice. So, they finally make their way. Then, eventually, they meet Umbaba. Um, they were kind of getting overpowered, and they ended up praying to Shamash to to help so Shamash sends her fiery winds and it ends up beating down on Umbaba um I think they bring in um which was her seventh blaze and they brought it in and uh like beat the shit out of Umbaba in his lair <laughs> Umbaba finally surrendered and uh Enkidu wanted to kill Umbaba, I think. So, I think Gilgamesh. Oh shit! Ended up like stabbing. Uh, which I think this is another reference to bleeding out the bull. But Gilgamesh stabbed um, Umbaba in the back of the neck. Whenever you look at like a lot of torrid art, I think they usually stabbing in yeah. the shoulder or in the neck. And if you look at like matadors. Yeah, if you look at the radiant point in Taurus, it's in its shoulder or right around its neck. So I think that's symbolic oh, wow. for piercing the Taurids and then it bleeds out meteorites. 
Oh, shit. I thought that was pretty cool. Such a strange and yet eerie reference. Yeah. So, um, after that, they kind of returned to Uruk after they had uh, fell all the cedars and conquered Umbaba. Gilgamesh had made a name for himself. He conquered the bull. So they returned. And uh, Ishtar, which is the god of love and the god of war at the same time, which is weird. But Ishtar wanted to marry Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh was like, look at all your past lovers. They're all pretty much either dead or are suffering of some sort. <laughs> but um, <coughs> You're a black widow. <laughs> And I wanted to point out one of these little phrases that Ishtar, about Ishtar. It said, Ishtar loved the lion, or loved the lion, which is probably Leo. And uh, she dug seven pits for the lion. She loved the stallion, which I think is um, another constellation reference. And it said, she loved the shepherd. Which I think is probably another constellation reference. And uh, hmm. Ishalanu, I don't know what that is. I don't know what Ishalanu is. I think it's one of her ex lovers or something. But Goddamn. Gilgamesh said no after he pointed out all the people that she had ruined lives of, I guess. And then uh, Ishtar asked for the. So she goes to Enlil and Anu because she's pissed, and that's her father gods basically. And she asked right. for the bull of heaven to destroy Gilgamesh. So another oh, reference shit. to the bull of heaven the coming bull. down to destroy Gil- or destroy people. And if not, she would open up the gates of the dead, and she would let the dead roam into the to our world. Which is, this is the first ever reference to zombies in human history. Came straight oh from, shit! Came straight from the epic of Gilgamesh. God damn! But um, <laughs> all of our zombie apocalypse fans just shit themselves. <laughs> and uh, so they tell Ishtar that if that happened, there would be seven years of drought and famine. And if you have a major impact Uh-oh. or something like that, you'd block out the sun. You'd have no forest growth or plant growth or Anything like that. Anything. So, there you go. There's another reference to some type of cosmic event. I love how it says the bull from the heavens. Yeah. Bull of the heavens. Like, that right there. Normally, if if people speak of heaven, that they're usually pointing up. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. The torrid meteor stream, man. The thing is getting more and more prevalent to me. So, so after that, I guess, uh, the gods had become angry at Enkidu and, uh, Gilgamesh because they killed Umbaba. So they decided that one of them has to die. And obviously oh, that yeah. one is going to be Enkidu. So right. they pretty much sent Enki, sentenced Enkidu to some kind of death and they stricken him with a sickness. So he's pissed Damn. off that he ain't going to f- die a warrior's death and that he's going to die weak in his bed. So he starts cursing everybody. And then um, 
Shamash tells him that these are the people that helped you become wise and shit like that. So she tells him not to curse the people that gave him knowledge, basically. Right. Or he would just be a beast roaming in the woods. Um, so Enkidu and Gilgamesh have a little heart to heart. Um, Enkidu tells him of one of his last dreams that was, he keeps having cataclysmic dreams while he's dying and he keeps picturing meteorites and disasters and stuff like that. And Gilgamesh stayed by Enkidu's side until he ended up dying after 12 days. And then it says Gilgamesh mourned for seven days and seven nights until the Anunnaki came and finally took him away. So that's really the only, there's two references in this to the Anunnaki. It's whenever they cut down the forest and they find the dwellings of the Anunnaki and whenever the Anunnaki come and take Enkidu away finally. That's the only wow. two. And it says nothing about aliens. Right. I mean, these guys, I mean, <laughs> but the judges of, did come and take him away, I guess you could say. Yeah. Whatever. You could like, take that out of context in so many different ways. Right. Well, we just got to figure out where they come from. If they did come from somewhere off this planet, well. But, I mean, they told them where they come from. They said they cut down the forest and found the dwellings of the Anunnaki. Oh, shit. So they was in so, the forest. So they were already here. Yeah, I mean, it says they were in the forest, basically. Hmm. But, so Gilgamesh... Oh, Gilgamesh is kind of scared that he realizes he'll one day die. He realizes his mortality. So he spends the next however many years wandering around as like a wild man. And then he finally comes to his senses and doesn't want to die and wants to figure out immortality. So somewhere along the way, he learns of Utnapishtim. Now, Utnapishtim is basically the Sumerian Noah. Right. Like, that's, like, obviously the same fucking person, just in a, written down about five or six hundred years earlier. I think uh, it was written down about 1700, the, the Noah story. But he... Um, Utnapishtim was the guy. He's now part of the gods. He's immortal. Um, they didn't really, after the flood, they didn't really know what to do with him, so they just kind of made him immortal and sent him to live off in the faraway land, basically. I'm guessing at the per mouth of Persian Gulf, because they said at the mouth of the river is where he lived. And the only mouth of the river I can think of would be at the Persian Gulf, but... <clears throat> So, um, this place is called Delman. That's where they sent him to live, or it's called this, uh, the Garden of the Sun, which I feel like is probably a reference to like a Garden of Eden type situation. Garden of the Sun. Oh, shit. They sent him to live there after the flood. I don't know. It's kind of weird. You can, I like seeing all these uh, parallels to like Christianity and other religions and stuff. So, yeah, you could definitely see where they probably got a lot of their ideas from. Yeah. So Gilgamesh meets this guy named Oshinabi. Oshinabi is Utnapishtim's fairy maid. 
to wherever he's going. But Gilgamesh talks in Oshinabi into taking him to meet Utnapishtim. And um, he told him his story and uh, what he'd been through. And um, he finally takes him to meet Utnapishtim. So... They continue, and I thought one thing was interesting was that they, uh, Gilgamesh explains a lion running about, and then he strikes him with the sword and scatters him. So, he strikes a lion with the sword, which I think is probably a reference to Leo, and scatters Leo about, which is probably a reference to its meteor meteor showers scattering Leo. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh shit! That that is pretty cool. <clears throat> so they finally take him, and he comes to this uh, great mountain of Mashu with the twin peaks at the at the gates of the Scorpion. Or at hang on. At the gates, the scorpion stand guard. So there's like a scorpion people. There's like half man, half scorpion, which I think is like a reference to Scorpio. I really do think most of this is astrological. So you have a scorpion man, and um, they guard the uh, land of the rising sun or whatever it's called. There's like this uh, Valley of the Sun or something, but it's total darkness, which I thought was weird, but it's basically a representation of the whole journey Gilgamesh has to go through. So he walks through this little dark valley, and he can't see anything, and he walks for 12 leagues, and then he finally makes Mm. it out and uh, makes it to Delman, where Gilgamesh is. And um, when he came out, Shamash was waiting on him. Shamash is the god that gave the blessing to kill Humbaba. But, uh, he pointed out Oshinabi, and, uh, Oshinabi finally took him across the sea to meet Utnapishtim. And, um, so he asked while he was there to see, uh, Utnapishtim, and, um, Utnapishtim's like, why do you look like shit if you're Gilgamesh? And he's like, I've been walking through the forest for 12 days. So they finally, (laughs) Utnapishtim finally uh, decides to tell Gilgamesh that he's never going to be immortal. He never thought he would be immortal, but the gods granted him with immortality after he did what they said during the flood. So he decides to tell him the story of the flood. So, Story starts of the flood. There's a city, Sheropak, and Anu, the lord of the firmament, and the father god, and Enlil, the counselor, and Enki, the watcher, and Ninurta, the helper, and Ea. They were there, chilling. You know, the city had been going for a long time, and people had grown plentiful, and they were everywhere, and... The gods couldn't get any sleep because people were making so much noise. So they decided to send a great flood to cleanse the earth. Um, oh, shit. So Great flood reference. Yeah, Utnapishtim had a dream. or One of the gods had sent him visions in the dream. 
and um, to warn him that he could. They just kept telling him to build a boat, build a reed boat, tear down your house and build a boat with this material. And finally, Enlil sent the flood, but Unapishtim was ready. So they told him to take his family, everybody he knew, all the animals, and ride it down the river into the gulf. Which, right there, it tells you they sent him to the mouth of the river to live. He rode down the river to the gulf, probably right there at the mouth of the Persian River, or the Persian Gulf, for a location for you. So there's probably like a great flood that swept him down the river. Yeah, from definitely. Possibly meteorite activity or whatever could have caused a great flood right there. So, flood comes, they ride it out for seven days. Um, They keep sending out birds and on like so many days he sends out the raven and the raven never comes back. So we know the fucking waters are residing just like in Noah. He sends out like a dove. I think the dove bring back a twig or something like that. But it says the waters rose from the bottom. The Anunnaki lit torches lighting up the land with their flame. The dikes and the nether waters let go. So that pretty much any, whenever you have like a major earthquake or uh, impact, it's thought that your groundwater will start to come up from the ground. So whatever you hear um, depictions of water rising up from the ground it could definitely be some type of groundwater shit that happens during a right. catastrophe along with the Anunnaki lighting the sky on fire and lighting the ground on fire and yeah yeah so, just straight fucking shit up yeah so you have floods and fire at the same time and it was so dark that man could not see his neighbor but <clears throat> yeah this all describes like major cataclysms the flood and fire and says all men turned into clay and only water was left for miles and uh they held on to this mountainside till they the waters finally receded and they was able to finally crawl back onto the land and so the gods show up to the sacrifice that Utnapishta made after he finally was able to crawl onto land and, you know, set up worship to the gods or whatever. And but uh, and Lil oh, was yeah. pissed that uh, he had told Utnapishta that he was going to send the flood, but all the gods liked Utnapishta, so they decided to send him to live in Delman, at the mouth of the river, at the Persian Gulf, to live. For eternity. So, Udnapishtim finally tells Gilgamesh to accept his fate and just accept the fact that he's going to die one day. There's nothing he can do, no matter how great, how big, what king of what country you are, you're always, you're always going to (laughs) die. Really, that's the moral of the story, really. That's what Udnapishtim tells him. So, Pretty much. Ursinabi finally takes him back. Like, you're going to die someday, bud. Yeah. And then, like, on his way out, Utnapishtim's like, oh, yeah, there's this flower that you could find. 
or something like that. And Utnapishtim goes and finds it in the water. And it says a certain a serpent comes up, takes the flower, sheds its skin, and then climbs back into the water. And it pretty much takes all hope that Gilgamesh had for eternity and for immortality. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So I guess after that, years pass. Gilgamesh grows old. And it says at his death that people came out and laid out offerings to the gods. And uh, he died the way he wanted to be. And here we are, 2,000 or 4,000 something years later, talking about him on a podcast recorded on a computer. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> That's pretty much the story of Gilgamesh. It was a long ass little take on it, but I like it was a good little deep dive. I wanted to point out all the oh, bull dude, yeah, Torah references and stuff like that just because not everybody sees it as like a esoteric astrological point of view that we all there well not everybody but a lot of people have started to go towards since like Randall Carlson's work is getting out there more and the study of esoteric knowledge is starting to get out there and the study of astrology without it being some kind of like fortune telling device but an actual study of ancient knowledge and stuff like that I'm not an astrology yeah. guy but when it comes to deciphering ancient texts and shit like that it, ugh, I love it but yeah we're at the two hour mark hour and 53 minutes Ooh. I think it's been a pretty good show I kind of probably wore some people's ears out they're not going to listen to the whole thing I know but if anybody wants the full story hey, Gilgamesh, you, I laid it out there for you yeah in a really 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 awesome way too <laughs> I'll try to put up some good graphics maybe it'll help it move along a little bit but yeah next week probably skip the read through I eventually want to get up on the Sumerian creation story at some point but <clears throat> it'll be nice I think we had some good topics oh, this man. week oh yeah definitely I mean I had a pretty stressful week this week so I was lacking but good god Scott you nailed it knocked it out of the park <laughs> almost a like perfect read through of, of the epic in today's terminology a couple of little awkward awkward moments but I'm not a reader man you did good bro you did good <laughs> yeah I got a new interface so there ain't all fucking kinds of ticking glitching going on this episode like there was last episode so I hope you guys are happy with that finally get oh, some yeah. new equipment you know, work on some new mics and stuff like that It'll be nice. Moving right along, my dude. Moving right along. Yeah. It'll be great, but... Well... I guess that's it for this episode. I want to thank everybody who's made it this far. Um, be sure to like and subscribe so we can get more views and put us deeper in the algorithm of YouTube and the internet. And uh, share us Four anywhere people. you think anybody would listen. I'm on uh, Spotify... Anchors, our distributor, 
or distributor or whatever you want to call it. Um, and YouTube has pictures and videos to go along with what we're talking about. So, yeah. So I guess that'll Hell do yeah. it. Hell yeah. Alright, well, Scott. It's been nice. It we'll has. See you guys, yeah. uh, next week. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>